Welcome to Keeping Up With Data. Keeping Up With Data is the podcast that keeps data enthusiasts up to speed with what is happening in the data world. We bring in the leading minds from the data industry to talk all things career, news, embarrassing stories, failures and successes. So something really important for us here at Precision Sourcing is mental health. It's something we've been focused on a lot over the last year or so. And we're lucky enough to have partnered with the Black Dog Institute. And we're going to be doing a lot of events with them this year. A lot of our events, money will be going towards them. And they're out there aiming to create a mentally healthier world for everyone. So if you wish to support the cause, please donate via the link in the bio on this podcast. And you'll be seeing a lot more information about Black Dog over the next year. Welcome back once again to another episode of Keeping Up With Data with myself, Joel Robinstein. And today I am joined by Jeff Smith all the way across the pond in New Zealand. How are you today, Jeff? I'm very well. Thank you for having me. I'm really happy to be Yeah, fantastic. Well, thanks for coming on. Um, as always, at the beginning of the show, rather than me trying to introduce yourself and getting it all wrong, um, what we normally like to do is uh, get the guests to just tell everyone a little bit about themselves, what you do, who you are, and you can attack that from any angle that you fancy. <laughs> Cool. Um, yeah, so my name's Jeff Smith. Uh, I'm the National Data and Analytics Manager at New Zealand Couriers. Um, New Zealand Couriers uh, as part of the Freightways group of courier companies and um, uh, other, other logistics businesses. And uh, as a group, we sort of pick up process and deliver uh, about 52 million items uh, a, a year across the group. Um, so that's overnight nationwide across New Zealand, small parcels, that sort of thing. Um I primarily deal with two parts of it is uh, business intelligence. So that's primarily what I'll be focusing on today. So last reporting, but also customer integration. So that's actually getting the data into the system in order to produce a label in order to move a parcel. So it, part of that is to make sure there's no garbage in, so there's no garbage out. <laughs> nice. Like a word, it? Well, we'll dig into that a lot today because I think, um, no pun intended, there's probably a lot to unpack in terms of um, what you actually do with data within the business. And um, obviously you've been there for a number of years as well. So it'd be great to understand what the journey's been like of, um, you know, where it started when you first joined to, to where you managed to get it. Um, but as we always do as well, it'd be great to kind of go back even further in time and, and find out how you made your way into the position that you're in. A lot of people are always interested about the, the career journey and the path. So if it's all right with you, it'd be fantastic to start there just I guess, how you found your way into the data world and what your background is. Okay. Yeah, well, sp speed me up if I ramble at all. But I mean, um, I started here, I, I, I started here 20 years ago and I had a, a, a gap in the middle. So back to 2004, uh, I was in high school when I started as a, a freight sorter. So I was sorting freight after school in, uh, in Christchurch. And I decided to take a gap year before going to uni after high school finished and, um, I ended up in the admin team uh, doing accounts and accounts payable. And that's where I sort of, I was billing customers and crediting and debiting them and that sort of stuff. And I wasn't very good at maths at that point in time. I sort of had to learn how to use Excel through that and found that it was actually kind of fun and doing mail mergers and managed to automate a lot of processes away from carbon triplicate books, if anybody remembers those, and into, into that sort of thing. And I started to learn a bit about barcodes in that space. Um, to the point where I got promoted up to Auckland to um, look after a lot of the billing. And then eventually that moved into the whole customer integration piece as um, at that time, electronic labels were starting to become a really big thing in New Zealand. It was a lot of prepaid tickets before that. 
Um, and I did that for a number of years. Uh, I left the business in about 2010 Um, So after about seven years of various roles, and then I spent about another seven years in, in the wilderness. So that time I was working for uh, Woolworths supermarkets and, and distribution. Uh, the McDonald's supply chain, the bid food e-commerce piece, and I had the opportunity to come back to New Zealand couriers into this exec role. Uh, there was a few changes in the business, and that was about exactly the same time that the business had made a big investment in, in, in data and Power BI. So at that point, the world was kind of my oyster in terms of, hey, you, you're going to build something from the ground up. Yeah, so here's here's your little team that exists, and it wasn't quite in the perfect space that I wanted it to be, but that was that was shapeable, and there was a whole business that was thirsty for data, but they didn't know what they wanted. So I was able to, I guess, listen and absorb a lot of stuff in order to uh, deliver something that people didn't know they wanted. Perfect. So almost almost the best time to to walk into a role like that when. The business knows they need something, but they don't really know what they need. So you really do just get that almost blank canvas of like, well, you know, I, I can really set the direction of what we're doing here. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It was um, it was quite fortunate as well, because instead of taking the, the classic uh, requirements, business analyst sort of uh, product donor approach to things, mm-hmm. I was, I'm privileged enough to sit on the exec team here. So I'm, I listen to a lot of the regional managers and the branch managers and the operations and sales managers and just listen to the things they talk about. Mm. And I don't even, at that point, you don't need to tape requirements. You, you, you listen to the core problem and go, right, what do I know that I'm sitting on in terms of data? Mm-hmm. What do I understand about a business problem? How can I surprise them? How can I shine a light on something that they didn't know was there? And we've had a few good successes, which I can give examples of in, in, in terms of that, um, in which turning over rocks to turn over more rocks be great. Well, there's a lot to unpack here. And I think it would be logical to stick with talking about where you are at the moment. But I definitely want to circle back into the discussion around your background, how you've mentioned there, whilst you, you know, you have worked within, you know, analyst roles, shall we say, you haven't necessarily come from that traditional yes. pure data background. So I think people would be very interested in, in how you've kind of you know, worked your way into the, the the kind of national data manager role, shall we say. But whilst you're talking about there being sat on the executive team, I think that's one of the biggest bugbears of a lot of senior data people is that whilst they are a senior person within the business, they're, they're not privy to those exact level discussions, which means they're always solving problems that people are giving them rather than what you're saying here is listening to what the, the issues or, or, or the opportunities as well are within the exec team and then being able to go away and say, hey, based on what you've told me, this is what we can deliver. Do, do you think that's put you in a different standing to be able to deliver more quickly because of that? Oh, 100%. 100%, yeah. It's, um, and I can I can make an executive level decision on something as well. So if somebody, uh, if there's something I fundamentally disagree with, I can say, no, that's not how we're going to do this. Instead of trying to, when you try to please everyone, in some ways you just end up... Uh, never delivering anything and uh, I can also sort of uh, direct how I want my teams to work so they don't use they don't use any formal agile framework or anything we just take the best we take the best things from waterfall we take the best things from agile I guess uh, re-explain the problem to the team that my, my team that actually do the work and let them decide how they want to go about delivering it and that just is so powerful 
that makes sense. So, so, so skipping back to the start of that role then, so you've come in, there's a small team you mentioned. Yeah, came in as a team of uh, team of four and we've grown that to team six. Um, that's covering both the customer integration and the business intelligence. Brilliant. Um, what, uh, was just one team doing everything and now we've, we've split it and turned it into six. And what were the skill sets of the team when you, you walked in there? Were they pretty data savvy, the, the people in the team? Uh, no, they were good. It was it was very Excel based. Um, mm. So there lots of macros and a scheduled reporting. So first of the month, we do this and we copy from here, we paste from here, we do that sort of stuff. Um, but now it's it's I, I'd say my my team's main skills are actually in SQL and Power BI and design. Mm. Uh, whereas my my main skills are still Excel because um, mm. kind of what I grew up with. Uh, so it was a matter of automating a lot of that old work so that we got out of Excel, we got away from scheduled stuff and more building and uh, enhancing. So we don't, yeah, we don't, yeah, we don't have a, a reminder that comes up every month to do the monthly, monthly pack. That makes sense. And so obviously your team, good solid team that you had in there being mostly Excel based, did that help? Do you think in a sense that you as a not super technical person weren't coming into a team of you know data scientists mathematicians statisticians yeah. who were really trying to do these crazy advanced problems did did that almost help you in a way that you they, they weren't on a different realm in in some senses yeah that, that, that certainly did I, I i was able to come in i don't know if you can see behind me but sort of set the vision mm -hmm. sign and we're going to be industry leaders in data and insights um because if you're not the best what's the point in showing up to work really if, if there's someone better than you somewhere else. So it was, um, I mean, they were doing great work, but it was a matter of going, how can we, how can we be actively the best so the people are chasing us and in, in what we do? And I think in a, in a number of levels, we've got to that now, but it's, um, most of that's internal. We don't necessarily project that externally very well. Yeah. That makes sense. And, and was there appetite within the team when you came in to grasp hold of new tech, new ideas, they were ready to be pushed on? Um, a little bit. What I what I learned from previous roles and mm. watching previous managers change things is when you come into a role, you really need to sit down, shut up and listen for three months. Um, don't change anything. So get an idea of how the tide comes in, the tide comes out, what demands are placed on people. Because if you come in and say, I'm changing this and I don't care, um, something's going to break. And yeah. you might not find out for two years that you've that you've actually broken a, a pillar of something that was there for a reason. And so I was very much about make sure everything that's happened forever um, keeps happening and then we'll, we'll piece by piece, we'll start, we'll start replacing things. Mm. Yeah, okay, that makes sense. Okay, so then um, you, you come in uh, and there's appetite from the business that you mentioned previously. We want to start doing things with data. What what was their data understanding? What were they thinking, you know, this is what data can do for us? What, what was their knowledge already from the exact side of things, shall we say? Yeah, we were very, very good at understanding things financially. So I knew I, I, knew I couldn't compete in, in terms of finding accounting type stuff. So stay away from that. Uh, start focusing on some productivity measures, um, on time performance and things like that. So the data set is so big that there's, there's, for every parcel you generate maybe six records for it. And when you've got a lot of parcels, it's a lot of volume. So 
before getting the right tools in the business, we weren't very good at crunching that data because mm -hmm. our best tool for that was Excel. Mm -hmm. So we didn't have a great understanding of on-time performance by customer, by segment, by... So if you, we wanted to know the detail of something, we had to go away for hours and work on it, we bring it back. Whereas mm -hmm. now we can crunch that with, with stored procedures and patterns and things so that users can use their slices in Excel to actually explore how they want it instead of prescribing it to us and so it taking a, a million years to produce. Sure, that makes yeah. sense. Okay. So what are some of the, the, the big projects, the big um, ticket items that you're proud of that you've done with the team over the years? The big one I really wanted to do was upgrade a, um, they called it a business review. We now call it My, my Parcel Insights. So there was a, a Excel thing that had existed for maybe 25 years and it was a macro that went off and used some ODB, ODBC sources and brought together a little information pack for the customer and it was really dated, really dated. And I wanted to fix that, but I was also found out the tool that generated it was so legacy it couldn't be improved. So we had to build this insights pack from scratch. Um, it, we, we we looked at a lot of what our competitors were offering out there, and we also wanted to make sure this insights pack was a was in, actually insightful. And I know that sounds silly, but that actually told a customer something they didn't know before, and it wasn't necessarily uh, uh, going to be. We, we didn't want the data to be weaponized as well about our performance and things. We wanted to go, hey. Here's where we can improve. Here's where we think you can help us. Um, and here's hopefully something that you didn't know that you can use to improve your business. Like we think your, your distribution into this part of New Zealand is lower than the population that represents that area. So maybe your sales are weaker in that area, things like that. Um, really proud of that. That is a beautiful, beautiful PDF that comes out. It's about 12 pages mm -hmm. um, and it's just formatted to the nth degree. And that's automated so that can come out on the schedule and, and things like that um the other one was um around emissions reporting mm. so there's more and more clients are coming to us asking for what's called their scope three emissions and that's emissions that come out of our our vehicles for, for the, the parcels that belong to the to that customer so we do any customer can now come to us and say can you tell me between these dates what my scope three emissions are by ton kilometer so we, for every parcel, we determine its weight through an mm -hmm. algorithm. It's kilometers traveled by road, by vehicle type, and we crunch all that up. And within about 60 to 90 seconds, we'll have an automated report that says, right, here are your scope three emissions. It's ISO certified as well, which is just mm -hmm. so powerful. Um, and that completely ticks the box for the um, for the customer's carbon reporting. We were, we were first to the market on something like that, and it was it's it's still i believe it's an industry leading product i'm just so proud of it that's brilliant i can imagine that became a really hot topic for a lot of your customers very quickly yes yeah, that's right yeah because as as new legislation and, and rules were come in it went from i think every quarter you know we, every quarter the government government customer might come to us and say can we have this and we go oh, we don't know what that is you know and then it got higher higher frequency and we had to go to an we, we went to an agency and help them oh, sorry they helped us understand what we were obliged to report and by the time we delivered it was just as the as the bell curve was starting to take off on demand and we're pumping out hundreds of these things every quarter now um beforehand it was a, a manual exercise based on some assumptions so um we 
but maybe we got three, six months ahead of the curve and then it just, the tsunami and then it hit us. And I'm so glad we had it there in time. Yeah, fair enough. That makes sense. So moving away from specific projects, yeah. for yourself as a non-technical person, what do you do in terms of learning development for yourself, both as a leader, as also as someone within the data space um, to kind of keep you ahead of the game? Because I can imagine that you sometimes might feel I, you know, I wasn't starting from the same point a lot of other people in my role have started in. Well, we know, we know, honestly, when I came into the world five and a bit years ago, I, I did feel a bit of imposter syndrome. I didn't feel like I was good enough. I felt like I was here 10 years early. Um, and that took, that took a few years to get over, in all honesty. And that was, there was a lot of internal training courses that, that New Zealand Careers and Freightways um, was generous enough to put me on. Um, Dale Carnegie, our own internal um, lead program and things like that. So I never, I try to never stop learning. And, and the other week I did the um, high impact presentations course with Dale Carnegie and, and that involves, you know, having to read out a line of poetry while dancing like a cheerleader and then instantly, instantly pivoting to an angry man, to a, to a softly spoken, to a softly spoken child while reading these things wow. out. There's such a, anything, any opportunity you can take to better yourself and your presentation skills is so huge mm. because in a senior role, uh, well, something I always say to the team is a report is only as good as what it communicates. So mm. if you've done everything right and you've given the information to someone and it hasn't communicated what's in it, then what was the point in doing it? And it, yeah. it goes all the way through from me as a, as a leader. So I've got this great team that produces great data. So I view it as my responsibility to be the best communicator I can be in order to help people understand what people are, what the business is doing so that we can make the boat go faster. That makes sense. And I guess as well, you're, you're the, the front facing person for your team's work as well, right? So you really need to be, I guess, a step above in terms of being able to promote your team's work and all the hard work they're putting forth. They're, they're relying on you in that sense as well, aren't they? Yeah, that's right. That's right. So I, I, I guess I become the, I become the marketer or the, you know, the salesperson of this stuff the champion of it, but also like set the standard um, and then let the team do the really good work that they do in um, actually building a great data product because part of that too is, is that whole trust layer because if you don't have trust in analytics, you are doomed. <laughs> I could imagine. So yeah. let's go further down that road then. Um, so you didn't come from a data background. We've mentioned it a couple of times now. So I guess... Tell us a bit more about your actual background, your project manager, kind of operations analyst, and, and how that has actually helped you in your role as a data leader. Because we often find that those coming from, I guess, outside of the institutionalized data backgrounds actually yeah. manage to perform really well in these kind of roles. Yeah, that's that's, that's a good point. Um, I guess I'll just, I'll, I'll, I'll time travel a little bit. I, I, went, I, mean, I went into a business analyst role once and I, I quickly found it wasn't quite what I thought it was. Um, and that, that was quite challenging for me at the, at the time. Um, I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do. So I, I actually set up a bit of a side hustle as a wedding, a wedding and commercial photographer. Uh, oh, wow. That is a proper <laughs> side hustle. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, for about five years. Oh, and that's where I thought I wanted to go with my life. Um, but I wanted to go into the creative space, but, um, it just, it just never took off in a sustainable way, um, that would have supported myself. So um i was luckily enough to be shoulder tapped into an analyst role at the supermarkets 
mm. um, through my uncle, actually. He said, isn't this what you do? Aren't you a business analyst? You should apply for this. And I thought, oh, okay, cool. I'll do that. And I thought I was going into a corporate environment. And this, is, this, is, this was the life-changing moment. Yeah. I showed up and I went to reception and they said, oh, no, you need to go to the gatehouse, which is the secure, the secure truck entry. Right. And I went, oh, okay. And I went there. And um, they were like, okay, put on these steel cap gumboots and this high-vis vest and you're going into the distribution center. And I'm like, oh, okay. right, okay. And suddenly I was in this, this mega hub distributing as many cartons of food to supermarkets for the upper North Island as the whole Freightways group delivers in, in a day as well um, around the country. And it had about 500 people inside this building and I got plumps down in a... You know, once I started the role, I got plumped down a little desk and I was just in a massive, I was one of a very few office people in a massive warehouse. And I, over the years, learnt that I wasn't just there to do scheduled reporting. Mm. I was there as part of continuous improvement. And that was, there was a hallelujah moment with a particular manager there where I can't remember the details of it now, but uh, he challenged me on, you know, hit, his performance was attached to how I performed as an analyst. And therefore the whole 500 people in that building's lives or days were made better or worse based on the analysis I was providing. And that took a wee while to sink in. Mm -hmm. And suddenly I realized that, oh, wow, this is all about being the grease in, in the wheels because managers and senior leaders in the operational space they have a view of what's going on, but they need mm. they need to verify what they know, and 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 be able to challenge other people when they might be misinformed or be sometimes deliberately misleading. So they need to have a, a weapon up their sleeve, which is the data in some cases to actually challenge challenge the status quo um, or what they're being told. So that was, I think, once I got past that moment. I must have been another 18 months in there and I had the opportunity to be seconded as, as a transport manager. Mm -hmm. And I, and it was sold to me, well, you can use all your skills of data and actually oper operating this massive truck network. And that was, that was a, that was a really fun time in which, um, I was actually able to, I mean, I had really good support around me, which I didn't, didn't click to at the time. Um, but I was, I was like, wow, cool. Now I'm suddenly responsible for getting the goods out there. And maybe, maybe this means in a few years I can run a distribution center. Nice. So I thought that was my career path. And I took I took a role in, in another company as a transport manager. And man, you just do not sleep in a tra as a transport manager. Your phone will forever ring. Um, and the buck stops with you, right? For if somebody's dead wrong. Right yeah. yeah. So if your truck driver didn't show up at 3 a.m., to complete his 6 a.m. deliveries, but you're not waking up till 7 a.m. to find out. Um, it's, yeah. It's I'm, one. Yeah. Obviously, I was taking phone calls on Christmas Day, that one. And that was where I thought, you know what? I, I need to lean back into this data thing mm -hmm. um, because operations management isn't for me. But now that I've been an operations manager for, uh, at that time, it had been 18 months. I realize that I, I now know as an analyst, I need to see things coming before they hit hit operations managers. I need to be able to forecast for them. I need to be able to an, analyze root cause and things like that to help these guys because I can't 
be the guy that walks around with the piece of paper saying this is what you did wrong because mm. that's so punishing so you need to be in, in you need to be a bit of an evangelist with with the information you have so not just talking about data 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 but actually talking about outcomes and prevention and forecasting and things like that so being the crystal ball of your of your business i'd love to really help being in that operation center early on because you know for a lot of analysts they're not in the core section of the business that they're delivering to, right? Like you said that, you know, the, the information that analysts provide people is, it's, it's the foundations of what managers and, and execs will be using to, to create their thinking and, and also help to yeah. confirm their thinking. So, but so yeah. you actually see it from the ground level, that's really the benefit that you get, isn't it? Of, of coming from outside of a pure analyst position, shall we say? Yeah, and that's helped me so much with framing my conversations, with framing the way I give data back to the business mm-hmm. in a way that p- people are going to be thankful to hear it because it, it's uh, you don't want to be the guy with the clipboard talking about all the problems all the time because you're just you're just making someone's day worse. You need to make people's days better. Yeah, that makes sense. And I can imagine as well in logistics and 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 transport and the area that you're within. There's just so much data that's essential to the the day-to-day operations of the business as well so you you weren't necessarily walking into a business that was um adverse to using numbers and data to for the day-to-day running yeah we were we were so thirsty here so it was just a sea of demand um but also people hadn't weren't quite used to asking me questions in, in ways that could be answered with data so i that was where i took the osmosis approach of like what can i surprise them with the, the demand just went through the roof uh, about the time of the lockdowns. So that was that was <laughs> as as awful as all that was. That was where people they couldn't trust their gas anymore, and they needed both things. And that's that's where we really started the flight. Makes sense. And I see that you're also the, the privacy officer within the exec team, and obviously data yeah. governance, data privacy. You know, they're all whilst they're maybe not the sexiest terms, they're all the hot words at the moment within data at the moment. Um, what steps have you taken to, I guess, safeguard the business and, and and really help people understand throughout the company how important that is? Yeah, that's so I get it. I'm I'm luckily to be support lucky to be really well supported by by Freightways in that journey. So I represent uh any privacy issues for the New Zealand carriers business and I always scalate them up to Freightways there. So in terms of that, there's been I've had a lot of help with the education piece, um, understanding PII and things like that, and what data you can and can't share internally. Um, it's 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 been a really good journey actually for me. Uh, I guess it's it's data governance can be quite an abstract concept to explain to people, so it's actually been quite helpful for myself to understand the what's and whys of data governance when you've got. Um, so many people accessing the data um, to to frame up for everyone. Uh, I'm I'm me and my team are very, very much a front end team. We yeah. hack a different team that operates our back ends, our sorry, our structure and things like that. So they handle a lot of that framework, um, and I, I'll sort of handle any sort of uh, let's say incidents or um, things that things that may happen and then escalate, uh, analyze them, do a bit of risk and. Risk assessment, root cause, and then, and then escalate it up if required. Yeah. yeah. Okay, that makes sense. And did the business understand? I mean, obviously, a lot of the terms like you've, you've mentioned already, they're quite hard to understand, and a lot of people shot off to it. 
pretty quick when you start mentioning these words. Was it quite easy? As I guess it, it talks to the culture maybe within the business as to how easy it was to get it across. Uh, it's uh, yeah. It, 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 the thing I love about New Zealand careers and freightways is the culture. Everybody's open-minded to new things, mm. uh, and everybody's very receptive, very friendly. It's one of the reasons I came back here. The best players I've ever worked. I must be cognizant at all times. We are an operational business. We're dealing with operational people. And I have to frame everything I say in ways that's going to engage with them because IT, analysis, all that stuff is just admin. It's the admin part of the business. It's We've got a massive sales team, a massive operational team, and they come first, really. So I have to make sure that when I communicate something, it's in their language, which I'm pretty good mm -hmm. at now. Um, and then people are a lot more receptive to... To, to what you're talking about because if you come at them uh, uh, as, a, as a as a clipboard guy uh, you're going to get treated like a clipboard guy <laughs> yeah, yeah. That makes sense. so on that point then so one of the questions that we do like to ask quite often um, is the old explain like I'm five what do you actually do so I don't, I don't know if you've got kids yourself but um, you know if you if you were trying to explain what your day-to-day -day job is to a five-year-old how would you actually describe what you do uh, faster cheaper on time <laughs> yeah, I mean that's that's a really quick and easy way of doing it, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's um, yeah, that's 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 my go-to for it at the moment. It's uh, I I help I help people improve things. Mm. Uh, in in the eighties, I probably would have been seen as a um, as a handbrake on a organization. This type of role, it's you know some of the some of the lines from office space and things like that. But it, yeah, it's it's fun to do that faster cheaper on time make the boat go faster it's really interesting how the answers to this have changed over over the last few years as well because i mean you, you've nailed it there often the, the kind of data team can be seen as a roadblock as to why people can't do things or getting in the way as such but really what you're saying is i'm giving people the information they need to make their jobs easier and and do things quicker and that's yes. really where you're going to excel right yes yes and everybody Everybody in, let's just say IT, has to, you, you're most effective when you think about yourself as as grease between the wheels. You just mm -hmm. have to make the cogs, sales and operations spin as fast as they can so that you, you so that you're paying for yourself really. So that you, as a, as, a, as a cost of the business with your salary and everything, you're helping people generate more revenue or, or um, save costs in an area. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. So to zoom out a little bit further, firstly, just to the New Zealand market, because um, you know, whilst we've had a couple of people from New Zealand on the podcast, it's, it's mainly been Australia. Obviously, it's a smaller market, but it's one that we've seen a, a fair amount of activity in the last kind of 18 to 24 months of data really being at the forefront of, of where, I guess, New Zealand-based companies are going. Have you seen a shift more generally out, just outside of your business as well as to how people are, are using data and interacting with it? Yeah, a little bit. Um, I don't. I, I think New Zealand's got a long way to go. There's not. There's not a lot of businesses doing well, that I'm aware of mm. that are that are very very good at this space. I can think mm. of a couple, um, but they're very very large organisations, very well funded, yeah. uh, with often quite large teams. So, uh, I mean, I would struggle to find a role out there for me that that. As, as, as better than this I think sure. um, and it gives gives me the freedom to, to do the things I want as well um, I, I'm 
still seeing a lot of places want to do cool things, but they don't have the groundwork in place. So really easy to get excited about AI, predictive stuff. But man, if you can't even do, if you can't even get a clear state on what happened yesterday or what's happening right now, you're, you're nowhere near being able to get into the into the predictive stuff. Yeah, so do you that, think that take you five years to get your get your groundwork ready? You know, do you think that's just a case of that it's, the, uh, it's a, an indication of just the fact that it is a small market, New Zealand, and that there aren't the 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 people there to do it. There isn't necessarily the the cash flow towards doing something like that. Or do you think it will happen? It will happen. It's not so much the cash flow; it's the vision. So, and then enabling your people. So, and, and including your, your senior data data and analytics manager. Um, mm-hmm. It's yeah, I don't. I don't think there's. I'm, I'm going to put myself in that camp. But I don't think there's any of us out there with with the vision of just being an absolute analytics powerhouse of of grease for the gears. You know, that makes sense. Uh, but so the, maybe I just don't get out enough as well. That's well, I think maybe there's that as well. Like <laughs> people people often ask me about the recruitment industry, what's happening in other recruitment agencies, and sometimes I think, God, I don't zoom out enough to actually go and find out. So I don't know. Um, so what what advice would you give? those companies maybe who were at the beginning of the journey that you were at five years ago, shall we say, you know, what are the first one or two steps that a company could take to at least start on their journey without skipping too far ahead, right? Yeah, yeah, just just set a vision and set the vision of being the best in, 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 in your space. So you don't need to be, as a career company, I don't need to be competing with a software company in terms of what we do. I want to compete with other logistics firms. Um, I want to be, I want to lead the best team in New Zealand logistics. And then once I've, once I'm sure I've done that, I want to be better than anybody in Australia. Yeah. Um, and I want my team to be the best and, and yeah. take so much pride of what they do that they know that they, um, that they are the best as well. And to achieve what you could achieve within your space, right? You're saying like, don't try and be the next, you know, whoever else at Lassian or whatever, when you don't need to be, because that's not the yeah. space. Yeah. And they did. Man, I just so many people getting hung up on new tools. Uh, uh, you know, uh, oh, m- moving your architecture into 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 the cloud, and and this this great new product that's just coming out. Everybody's using it, so we should be using it. You are so distracting yourself. Just just mm. hammer and tongs, s- smash that SQL Server. Make sure you've got the best Power BI or Tableau graphics and design language. Um, one of the one of the very first things I did was went to our design agency, um, voice so incre- do incredible work, and showed them sort of the drafts of a lot of our um, Power BI reports, and challenged them to come up with a common design language for us. And they did that. They documented how we should design our reports, and we went through. We gave everything we'd built previously at facelift, brought it up to that standard, and then a year later. A, a new a new recruit to my team took sort of took a look at that design manual and said I don't think he liked it. Okay. He never told me. And he came up with his own one. And it was head and shoulders about that one right. that we that we paid all this money for. And it was it was just fantastic. So set the vision of being the best. Come up with a great design and communication manual because if you can't personally I don't want any of our report users looking at a report for more than three minutes. If they, if they haven't uh, orientated themselves within three seconds, got some insight within 30, and then after three minutes got out of their chair to actually enact an action, I've failed as a communicator. Set the vision, be, be the grease. 
right. So we're coming towards the end of the the podcast here. You've already mentioned um, a few buzzwords there. You dropped the AI um, bomb as well. What are yeah. some of the buzzwords that really um, are getting to you or that you hate hearing day to day? Maybe even from people outside the data team where they think you need it. And it's like, just, just slow down. What, what are your pet peeve buzzwords? AI and machine learning. Yeah. yeah. There's, there's so many cool things you can do with it. I get it. But what, what's the business need for it? So it comes back to where I was talking about the osmosis of listening to people. If you can solve it without AI, then you don't need AI. Um, it's going to be, it's going to cost a lot of money and a lot of time. And if by the time you've implemented it and delivered it, if it doesn't pay for itself or has a return on investment or doesn't change anything, then what was the point in doing it? I, I just don't like people rushing to the solution without, uh, you know, the, the flash new thing without uh, actually thinking about what is the need for it or the business motivation for it. Um, as cool as it all is, you can do something really it's not surprising that you say that a lot of people we speak to these days as well you know if you're in a, in a huge company with with plenty of money it's definitely something that you should be looking into and, and implementing into your your day-to-day working because you can get great benefits from it but you're right if if you don't need it why do it you're just spending money for for money's sake basically you know and it's going to come back to bite you in a couple of years when the rest of the exec team are like well what did we actually gain from that yeah it's it's like if i was to spend a uh, hundred hundred grand on implementing AI. I'd rather spend that hundred grand on a on a on a on an analyst and yeah. put them in a chair and and get six things out of them in, in the space of a year than instead of just getting an AI to do uh, optical character recognition. You know, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So speaking of analysts, then, so obviously with New Zealand being a smaller market, is it something that you do struggle to find? Is is that right talent? And do you find yourself a two prong question? I always do this. Do you find yourself thinking, well, we'll just upskill? internally oh. rather than trying to get external i'm a massive upskiller i love, yeah. I love um so I, I i do recruit externally i'm quite mm-hmm. fortunate and then i run a I, I must be running a fairly tight team because um i haven't had to recruit in two years Brilliant. Um, and i only go external when there's nobody when there's no up-and-coming talent within the business um this business gave so much back to me as a kid growing me up that i've got to give back to other people so one of the guys on my team, um, he came to us five years ago from from his OE, and he was working in a call center. He joined the customer my customer integration team because we run a small help desk there. And I recognized some talent in him with an app he built in that team that time to make his life easier. Put him into the business intelligence role, and left him alone for three months. And yeah, three months later, he'd rewritten the design manual and he was off. Um, He's been in that role for five years now. It's I, I just love growing talent because there's so much in this business as well um, that's so much so contextual. So to give an example, a TCP is a container that we put freight into, a totally collapsible pallet. Mm. There's a destination in New Zealand called TRG, Tauranga. Somebody from outside the business will, will think that TRG is a container and uh tcp is the destination and things like that but it's just so much if, if i can get somebody that's already had a few years in a the business they know how this business works i can i can fly so fast that makes sense you've mentioned that a couple of times now about the culture within the business and i mean obviously you've been there twice and been there for a while so what is it more broadly from the business outside of just i guess career development that that really stands out for you as to why people like to work there yeah it's with it's with 
it would be really easy. We move so many parcels every day that um, so many things go wrong. It's just a statistical, a statistical reality, right? Um, so if you're performing at ninety nine point nine nine percent on time, that's still thousands and thousands of failures in that on one. So it would be really easy to constantly punish ourselves over these things. But I think we look at things as um, very professionally and in the fact that uh, yes, the glass is always half full. That's not true at every company in, in, in New Zealand. So a lot, a lot of companies, you know, the glass is half empty, they'll focus on the negative. We always focus on the positive and improving ourselves. And that's because, um, man, so many things can go, just one of those parcels can be, well, they can be human organs for transplants and things like yeah. that. Yeah, things can go really horribly wrong, but we always have to look on the bright side of things. And that's so refreshing to me as a, as a people leader. I could be focus on good stuff. And when things go wrong, well, there's always another day. So there's always, there's another, <laughs> there's hundreds and hundreds of thousands of new parcels coming in every day. So every day is a new day. That's cool. Because I think you'd be really hard pressed to find someone who wouldn't readily admit they've worked in a company or a team. And and you find that you're spending so much of your um, brain capacity on that 1% that's going wrong rather than the 99% of things that you are doing well. And it just really drags you down. So it sounds like you've really nailed that as a business in terms of look at the great stuff that we're doing. How can we keep improving that yeah. rather than look at negatives? Yeah, 100%. And that, that flows all the way back through to our customer-facing reporting as well. It's focus mm -hmm. on the positive, focus on the insight, and then what can, what can be improved, but don't frame it around negative and punishment and things like that. I'm going to start wrapping up. Um, I always do ask one question at the end of the podcast. I don't know uh, if this one was one that you were prepped for or not, but we'll, we'll <laughs> give it much. Uh, it's my favorite one. It's the zombie apocalypse question. It really helps us understand who people are. Um, so the simple, the simple scenario is it's the zombie apocalypse. You, you're stuck there at the end of the world. Your family's safe in a bunker somewhere. Which three people would you have with you in the zombie apocalypse to help you get through it? <laughs> and they can be fictional characters. It could be whoever you want. Uh, I, 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 yep. Uh, I would have to say the president of the United States of America, whoever that is at the time, and two of his top generals, because it's impossible to die when you're next to that guy. That's a very good way of looking at it, isn't it? <laughs> but would you want to be next to the president of the United States, depending on who they are, obviously, uh, you know, for the rest of yeah. your time in the apocalypse? Yeah, probably. Uh, yeah, there's, there'd be a few here that I would really struggle to be around, obviously. Um, I think Joe Biden would crack a few good jokes. Uh, and literally, he probably would know what he's doing and where he is. <laughs> so, time to still. Constant entertainment. Um, yeah, if there's a few of them, though, it would be quite irritating, I imagine, quite quickly. Um, well, yeah, you might have to watch you back with a few of them as well. I know. Well, at least you'd manage to stay alive, as you say. So that's a well, good way of looking at it. Um, <laughs> well, look, thanks for your time, Jeff. It's been really great to speak to you. Is there anything else that you want to add before we uh, we let you run today? No, no, that's all good. Take, uh, thank, thank you so much for having me as well. And I hope this has made some sense in the Australian context as well. Um, anybody that wants to dig me out on LinkedIn, send me a message um, with anything, just please go ahead. Um, but yeah, just re really happy to um, be able to sort of project some stuff that I'm really proud of. No, you, you, you've built a really good culture, really good team by the sounds of things. And um, we'll put your your LinkedIn profile in the uh, marketing for this so people can reach out to you if they, if they want. But um, other than that, Jeff, have a great rest of your day and uh, lovely speaking to you. Thanks, John. You're up. Oh.